Uh, football season is over, but I like football, so I have to talk about it. And uh, sadly, I won't be talking about the Vikings or the Green Bay Packers. Um, I'm going to be talking about Tom Brady. Many of us know Tom Brady. He's quarterback, was for the Patriots for many years, and then this year went to Tampa Bay and proceeded to go to Tampa Bay and win his seventh Super Bowl. Um, Brady had one goal when he came into the NFL, and that was to win. That's all he wanted to do, was just win. He had a problem when he came in the NFL, and the problem was that the scouting report used these words to describe Tom Brady. Poor build, skinny, lacks great physical stature and strength, and gets knocked down easily. Now, if you're going to play quarterback in the NFL, you don't want those adjectives to be used of of yourself. He was drafted in the seventh round, went to New England, and the starting quarterback got injured, and he stepped into that role and didn't relinquish it. And as I said, now here 20 plus years later, he's still playing in the NFL, and he's got seven Super Bowl championship rings. That's more than any other player in the NFL by at least two ranks. The other closest is got like five ranks. If you look at Tom Brady's life, you will see that he, his one focus of winning was truly it. He spent all his time on, when it comes to diet and exercise and even mental exercises, it was all very disciplined, again, with the focus and the goal of winning. One example of this dedication to winning is that he would continue to practice just like a normal football week, even all the way up into February of the Super Bowl, even if he wasn't going to be in the Super Bowl. So if, whether it was first, second round of the playoffs or in the AFC championship, if they lost and he, and it was still two, three or four weeks until the Super Bowl, he would continue to train like he was preparing for a game each week. The reason? He wanted to train his body into playing in January and February, whether he was playing there or not. Many years ago, uh, when I was working for Youth for Christ, I was um, assistant ninth grade basketball coach for Wilmer and then helped out with the football team, coaching on, on the football team. A young man came through Wilmer High School, had incredible physical talent. In fact, you talk to the football or basketball coach, it was, we have to just have him on the court or the field because he's that much better than everybody else. The problem with this young man is he had no focus, no discipline, many times was a detriment to the team. And so you have a coach's quandary in that your best athlete 
is also your greatest detriment to winning. I share these contrasts because, as we'll look in our text today of 1 Corinthians, Paul continues to show us what his main thing is and his reason for making decisions about life and what is important and his reason for saying, you know what, my rights and my freedom are nothing compared to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would say Paul to the church is what Tom Brady is to football. Let's read together 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting with verse 19 through verse 27. You can either open up your Bibles to that or you'll see the words up on the screen behind me. Verse 19, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law but am under Christ's law so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it a slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. For Paul, the main thing is the gospel. And we've been saying this a lot over the last few weeks, and I know you may say, okay, Brad, we get it, we get it, we get it, but I think it's important for us to repeat that which is important The gospel, Paul's goal was to win in life, and the way he would win is by getting the prize of the gospel. And verse 23, he says, he does all that he does for the sake of the gospel and sharing in the blessings. Now, whether these blessings are people who come to know Jesus through his ministry or it's just the blessings of being a part of the kingdom is really uh, not certain, but it's not as important as understanding that either way, Paul sees that there is nothing better than sharing in the blessing of the gospel. And we see this in the focus of his life. And as we even look through this letter of 1 Corinthians, 
Paul is disciplining his life to win. His discipline of himself is to win the prize of the gospel. And as we look through this letter that we've parts that we've already gone over, just a little bit of review, just a reminder, and we can see how Paul disciplines himself, or how he challenges us to discipline ourselves. He says, discipline yourself to walk in harmony or unity with other believers. No division. It takes discipline. Do that. Why? So that people will know that Jesus is the Son of God. If the church is walking in harmony, in unity, people are going to go, wow, look at that. And they're going to know that this Jesus must be real. Discipline yourself to make the gospel of Jesus the main thing. Paul talks about the latter part of of chapter 1 into chapter 2. The cross of Jesus Christ is the main message. That is where real wisdom is found. Anything else. Anything else that the world brings as far as wisdom is folly compared to the good news of Jesus Christ. Discipline yourself to live by the Spirit, not the flesh. The the Spirit of God lives in you, if you remember in chapter 3. And that same Spirit of God that lives in you is the same Spirit that knows and comprehends the thoughts of God. You and I, as followers of Jesus, have the mind of Christ. Why do we have the mind of Christ? Because the Spirit of God is living in us. So, don't walk around in the flesh. Don't walk around in the natural man because the natural man doesn't accept the things of the Spirit. The things of the Spirit are spiritually discerned. So live by the Spirit. A few weeks ago, we talked about disciplining yourself to do your assignment. Remember, we talked about proclaim the gospel. Don't worry about your situation. Whatever your situation is, let your life and your words proclaim the gospel of Jesus. Don't get bogged down because your circumstances may not be what you think are prime for presenting the gospel. So whether you're married or single or a widow or divorced or rich or poor or in a position of power or not, proclaim the gospel. Be disciplined to go, this is my assignment today. I'm going to proclaim Jesus in this assignment. Last couple weeks, we've talked about disciplining yourself to set aside your freedoms and rights so you don't, one, cause a fellow believer to stumble. We We're going to live my rights. These are my rights. And so by living my rights, I can cause a fellow believer to stumble. Or uh, my freedoms, I mean. Or my rights can become an obstacle to the gospel. So discipline yourself so that your freedoms and your rights don't get in the way of the gospel. This disciplining yourself is to win the prize. It's a challenge for all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. And the prize Paul talks about in verse 25 is what I call the forever crown. He says in verse 25, we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Remember Paul, he's he's talking about here, he says, 
runners run the race to get a crown that will spoil or a wreath that will spoil, you and I, we're running a race where the crown will never spoil or it will last forever. So run after that crown. In chapter 3, we talked about, um, or Paul talked about, rewards. That our works that we do, the things we run after, when Christ comes again, a light will be shined, shown, shined, whatever you want to say, on our works, and our works will be revealed. And if they are works of this world, of the flesh, of this earth, they're going to disappear. But if they are works of the kingdom, they will last forever. This work stuff is not about salvation. We all know we are saved by grace through faith. It's not of our own work. So it's not about salvation. But it's as a follower of Jesus, we are to run the race for the prize. We are, the works that we do are stored up treasures for us in heaven. That, that's our focus. Talk about a retirement plan. Are you earning retirement for your eternal future. The question for me today is, how then do we store up these treasures that will last? How do we run this race to win the crown that will last? And I think Paul says it really in just one thing. Be a servant to all. He says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Paul, if we notice here, is modeling his life after Jesus. Think about the story in Matthew where the, the mother of two of the disciples of Jesus comes up to Jesus and, and says, Hey, Jesus, can you promise me that my two boys will sit one on your right hand and one on your left hand when you establish your kingdom? I mean, they were expecting Jesus to overthrow Rome at that time, but Jesus responds by telling his disciples that the rulers of this world are the ones that lord it over them. The rulers of this world are the ones that exercise authority over them. It's a power over mentality. I'm going to control you. Jesus said, not so with the kingdom of God. Matthew 20, verses 26 to 28. Not so with you, Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus came not to power over and establish his authority and his kingdom like, I'm here and I'm going to destroy every empire. No, he came as a servant. And he came under and brought his power under and lifted up. Jesus made himself a servant to all. Paul in verse 19 says, I have made myself a servant to all. 
that I might win some. And so it sounds familiar. And so I just wonder if, if Jesus came to serve, that was his motivation, to serve and power under. And, and Paul is telling us, and he modeled that, come and serve and power under. Maybe, maybe it's what I need to do. Maybe the way for me to store up treasures is about me coming and serving others. So how does Paul do this? He does this by becoming all things. We've read in verse 22, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Do you see that? It's all things to all people by all means that I might save some. The emphasis here for me is on the all. It's not become some things to some people by some possible means that I might save a few. No, it's to become all things to all people to win some. For Paul, that meant becoming, if he was around Jews, to become like a Jew. So he could win some. If, if it was people who were under the law... He would become like one under the law so that he might win some. If it was people who were not under the law, he became like those not under the law or outside of the law so that he could win some. But he makes his qualifiers here that if, if he's around people who are under the law, it, it's all about law. You gotta follow the laws. That's, that's what he's talking about there. If you're around those people, Paul's gonna become like that. I'm gonna become like one who follows the law. But I just want you to know that I'm not under any law. Even though I become like them and follow the law, I'm not under a law. But for those who are outside of the law, I'm gonna become like one of those. But, but also, just so you know, if, if I'm around those who are outside of the law, just so you know, I'm still under the law of Christ. Sometimes I think, you know, Paul's going a little, what is it, Paul? Am I supposed to be under the law or not under the law or outside of the law? Am I supposed to be like, what am I supposed to be? And Paul's like, whoever you're with, be like that. Sounds like a chameleon. But remember, what is Paul's focus? To win some. Paul's following the example of Jesus because in essence, this is what Jesus did. In Luke 5, we read of the story of Jesus calling Levi. Levi was a tax collector. And he calls Levi to follow him and a tax collector back in that day, they were bad people. They were sinners. They were, they were outside the law. So Levi steps up and follows Jesus. But Levi, because he's a tax collector and probably embezzled a bunch of money, he had a lot of money. And so he grew this, or threw a large feast. And there was a large company of tax collectors and sinners at this party. And Jesus was right in the middle. It was the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes who were going. Who were going, 
Now, why do you eat with sinners and tax collectors? And Jesus tells them that the reason why I am doing this is because those who are healthy don't need a physician. I'm going to the sick because they need what I have. Jesus is going, I don't go to the righteous, I go to the sinner so that they repent. Again, it sounds familiar. Paul, I become all things to all men that by all means I might win some. Paul came to serve and not be served. One of the commentators I read this week, B.S. Rosner, wrote these words, Paul is willing to surrender his right to live according to his own culture, context, and preferences and adapt to the realities and ways of those with whom he works and whom he hopes to reach for Christ. He is not concerned about staying within his own comfort zone, but about overcoming artificial barriers, inhibiting those who have not yet responded to the gospel from coming into the life of Christ. Paul offers an example of promoting the gospel at great personal cost. To become all things to all people require considerable versatility and sensitivity and often led to suffering and even persecution. By trying to become all things to all men, that by all means he might win some. Paul is adopting whatever lifestyle and whatever approach it takes that he can have a voice in the community he is in. Now, a reminder, he doesn't step outside the law of Christ. He's still under the law of Christ. But he's not under the law of man. Because of Paul's action, he faced much persecution, even from the church. In fact, if we jump over into 2 Corinthians, which Paul sends 1 Corinthians as a response to some questions, they have some additional questions, and then he sends another letter, 2 Corinthians. Look at these words in chapter 10, verse 2. He says, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as to expect towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. Or in some translations, we walk according to the flesh. People are accusing Paul of walking in the flesh. And if we look back to chapter 3 or 4 of 1 Corinthians, the flesh... What does people, or what does Paul tell about people who are walking in the flesh? He tells them to grow up. Stop being babies. Live by the Spirit. Now here's Paul being accused of doing what he's telling the church not to do. Sometimes... I like to wonder what someone like Paul, what his life would be like today if he was here, or Peter, or 
any of the other followers of Jesus, if they were living in 2021, how would Paul model being all things to all people by all means that he can win some? I, I think, and this is my opinion, so you can take it or leave it. My opinion is I think last June, Paul would have been in downtown Minneapolis walking with the protesters. Now, he would have still been under Christ's law, meaning he wouldn't have done the rioting or the violence or that kind of stuff, but he wouldn't have been under the law of man from the standpoint of listening to the church, maybe the church calling him walking by the flesh. I think Paul would have been there in June. Because Paul, his goal, remember, is to be, is the gospel. He wants to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what better way to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ if you aren't walking with the people, being all things to all men, that by all means I might win some. (laughs) I think Paul would be a political nightmare for the church. Because I think if he would have been around a bunch of us, I say us because I'm one, a conservative, he'd be talking like a conservative. And then he'd go down down like to Minneapolis where there's more liberals and he would be talking like a liberal. Now, again, he's still under the law of Christ So he would call out us conservatives on the things that we're doing, and he would call out the liberals, absolutely. But Paul would not hang his hat anywhere because he would want to become all things to all men that by all means he might win some. So how did Paul respond to this accusation of walking according to the flesh? We see in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 10, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Paul admits, I'm walking in, even though I'm walking in the flesh. Now, he's talking more of this, this body thing, Yes. But he doesn't say, no, I'm not walking in the flesh. He just says, hey, even though I'm walking in the flesh, or in your opinion, or in your view, I'm walking in the flesh, he says, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For we have weapons of warfare that are not of the flesh. And they have divine power to destroy strongholds. You see, sometimes we get off track in our battles. And we want to change people's behaviors. Behavior modification. We think that our battle is to get everybody to behave like us. But we have to remember that our behaviors are a symptom of something else going on on the inside. It's like a flu or the cold. When you have a fever... The fever, just by trying to get rid of the fever, it doesn't do anything because you have a virus in you. The problem is on the inside. We take drugs to help deal with the pain, 
But until we deal with the symptom, nothing changes. A number of years ago, I started having sharp pains in my side. They would come and they would go, come and go. Uh, and being me, I didn't say anything, didn't do anything. They started getting a little more frequent, last a little longer, maybe, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour. Till one day we were up by Cross Lake, up north of Brainerd, at a cabin. And it hit, and it hit hard. I was doubled over. Thankfully, my sister-in-law was there, and she's an EMT. So even though I didn't go to the doctor, I had someone that knew what they were doing right next to me. She said, yeah, you have gallbladder problems. So um, threw myself in the back of the van, and my wife sped into St. Cloud, or Brainerd to take me to the emergency room. And sure enough, um, my gallbladder was um, really bad. But as I got into the emergency room, they hooked up an IV and they put morphine in. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I, I literally felt the morphine go up my arm. And I felt it come into my body. And all of a sudden, that pain was there, but it was nowhere near as sharp. It was just dull. But I was in my happy place. I didn't care. Just keep filling me up. I can't help but wonder if we look at the world and we're trying to fill our world up with morphine to cover the pain that is there. If it looks good, if it feels good, then we don't have to deal with it. And all the while inside it is rotten and it needs to be dealt with. We are to be all things to all men that by all means we win some, which may look like we are walking in the flesh. And we are to walk in that flesh underneath the law of Christ. And while we're walking in the flesh, we do the warfare with weapons that are not of this world and Two of the weapons that I'm going to talk about this morning, just to draw our attention to, one is God's Word. God's Word is a weapon. We remember from the story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, how did He respond to, or how did He deal with that temptation? He dealt with the temptation by proclaiming the Word of God. And just a reminder, what did Satan do? Satan twisted the Word of God to try and tempt Jesus. So we have to be aware of that. But when we proclaim the Word of God, it is a weapon. It is a weapon of this world. It's a weapon that tears down strongholds. And so that's why it's imperative for us that we read our Bible and meditate on it and understand it. And as we talked a couple of weeks ago, get our knowledge of the Word of God, gnosis, which is head, and get it to gnosko, oh, I can't even say that right now, which is to get it into heart, which means knowledge that also has experience. The Word of God is our weapon. 
The other weapon is prayer. Church, it's time to pray. What is happening in our world will not be changed by more legislation. It will not be changed by you and us saying louder and longer and more intense that the world is wrong and is going to hell. That's not going to change the world because that is dealing with the outside symptoms. Prayer is the battle field and we our world is blinded by Satan and so they can't see the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what is happening in this world in our families we begin with prayer. That doesn't mean we don't speak out to the world and what the world is doing is wrong. That's not what it means. But if our goal is to change the world we don't change the world by just standing and speaking out loud. We change the world by beginning to get on our knees where the spiritual battle is. Remember Paul said our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against any person in the world. That's not our battle. No human being in this world is our battle. Our battle is Satan and his army. What is going on in our world, what is going on in your family is a result of a spiritual warfare. It begins by you and I entering our prayer closets, our own spaces where we can cry out to God. That's where it begins. Get into your prayer closet. And it continues when we gather as families or households and pray together over our neighbors and our cities and our world. And then it means us getting together as a church for corporate prayer We have a prayer room at 8 a.m. happening. Let's fill that room with people praying for our church and our city and our world. This is something that I've been challenging our elders and our staff about. Crossroads has been a praying church and is a praying church. But there's also been a history of divide that has come because of prayer and so... Elders and staff and uh, us who are members here, prayer as a body needs to become a priority. So what does prayer look like here at Crossroads? In conclusion today, at our leadership meeting on Thursday night, I was with the Encounter Ministry team and we were talking about prayer and what does it look like here at Crossroads and Eric said, I think it needs to begin with Sunday morning. If we're not praying on Sunday morning, why would we pray any other time? And around the table, we kind of all agreed. And so as I mentioned, I mean, we have a prayer room, 8 to 9. Come and join us. It's open to everybody. We have prayer ministers after the service that are up here. You need prayer for something? You want to pray with somebody? Come, they'll pray with you. It's why um, a couple weeks ago we launched this Impact Neighbors and Cities, and you'll see with the graphic up there, remember that from a couple weeks ago, the idea was it's time to pray for your neighbors. Do you know your neighbors? Get to know their names. 
Make a map if that helps. Write down their names. Be intentional about walking your neighborhood, asking for names and getting to know your neighbors and asking God to reveal to you specific things to pray for your neighbors. Pray for your city, your mayor, your city council, whoever it may be, and where are the neighborhoods that are in the greatest need? Go there and pray for them and see what ways you can practically help. And then pray for our country. There's stuff being passed today that most of us in this room don't agree with. Pray. Get on your knees. Pray. Pray. And when you think you've done enough praying, pray some more. So to take Eric's lead, we're going to take a couple minutes and we're going to pray together right now. So I want you to pray in silence to yourself, but I'm going to walk us through a process of praying for a couple of things. So I'm going to ask that you sit there and you close your eyes, because I want you to use your imagination. I want you to imagine that you're in your house, and you walk out your front door and you go to the road, and for some of you... Your walk's going to be longer than others, but thankfully in our imagination, we can walk all around the earth a bunch of times here. But I want you to walk down the street, look at each house, just ask God to bless that house. If you know their name, say their name. God bless Ryan's house. Go from house to house. Go behind your house into the neighborhood behind you or on the other side. Ask God to reveal their names to you. Ask God to reveal a need that you can help them with. Now you're going to speed up your walk, and I want you to walk around your city. Where's your city hall, where the mayor and the city offices are? Imagine walking around that and pray God's blessing and wisdom and direction over there. Pray for your mayor and your other people. Pray for the emergency response people, the police, the EMTs, the nurses, the doctors, the firemen and women. Holy Spirit, come. Now I want you to Take a fast walk down to St. Paul, to our city capital. Pray for our governor. Pray God's blessing on him. Pray for wisdom and direction. Pray for the council around him. Pray for all the men and women that are in leadership positions.
Now we're going to jump on a plane and fly to Washington, D.C. We're at the Capitol, the White House. Pray for our president and vice president. Pray your blessing on them, God's blessing on them. Pray for wisdom and direction to lead this country. Pray for all the men and women who are in positions of leadership, that God would guide them and direct them. Father God, today we commit to battle with the weapons that are not of this world. Besides God's word and prayer, there's worship and serving others. There's so many weapons that are not of this world. We commit to do battle there in Jesus' name. God, I pray that what is wrong inside us as a people and as a country, that you would bring healing there. That you would go after the root causes, not the symptoms, the root causes. We come against Satan and all his plans for destruction for individuals and for families and for cities and for our country. And I pray, Father, that you would give us boldness as we, as a church, commit to being all things to all people that by all means we might win some. Today we commit. We commit to run our race for the prize, the prize being the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus.